0: This is TanakhCast. Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 66. We'll begin with a brief summation of chapters 16 through 19 in the book of Samuel and follow with a consideration of the age-old tradition of single combat. Last time on TanakhCast... After defeating the Philistines, Shaul takes on Amalek, but instead of double chiriming them, Shaul spares the Amalekite king Agag and the finest livestock. When Shmuel hears of this, he goes biblical and hacks Agag to pieces, but not before ending Shaul's reign and his line of monarchs in Israel. A doleful act, which Shmuel mourns like a death. At the beginning of chapter 16, Shmuel continues to mourn for Sha'ul until eventually God tells him, SHUT UP! OH MY GOD, I DON'T CARE! and orchestrates a ruse whereby Shmuel can seek out the son of Yishai to crown him as the new king while keeping Sha'ul out of the loop And vengeance at bay. Why God would need to deceive Shaul when he could just smite him is a mystery, but Shmuel goes to Bethlehem to ostensibly near offer, but instead he works his way through all of Yisha's sons before realizing that the youngest, the one with the sheep, the one who is, quote, ruddy with fine eyes and goodly to look upon, he is God's chosen as the new king. Meanwhile, in the palace, quote, the spirit of the Lord had turned away from Shaul, and an evil spirit from the Lord had struck terror in him. So folks in Shaul's entourage seek out someone who can play the harp to help the king through his blue periods. And what do you know? They hear of a son of Yishai, who, though a man of valor, also plays a mean harp. So the king sends for David, which is a little awkward because he, that is David, is the actual king. And Shaul appoints David to be his armor bearer and official harp player. Chapter 17 recounts yet another round of conflict between Israel and the Philistines. This time, the battle lines are drawn in the Valley of Elah, where the Philistines opt for single combat to settle the matter. Goliath of Gat, a mountain of a man, at six cubits and a span, challenges all comers to a fight. And well, we all know how that story ends, don't we? But my favorite moment, before David picks five smooth stones and ultimately separates Goliath from his head, is the moment when David convinces Shaul that he is the man to go out and fight. Motherfucker. Well, not exactly. David tells Shaul about his shepherding days. Quote, When the lion or the bear would come and carry off a sheep from the herd, I would go out after him and strike him down and rescue it from his clutches. And if he would rise against me, I would seize his beard and strike him and kill him. The only odd moment in this story is at its conclusion when Israel seizes the day and despoils the Philistine encampment after a thorough rout Shaul turns to Avner, his captain of the host, and asks, quote, Whose son is the lad, Avner? From that moment on, David's fate is inimitably tied with the fate of the house of Shaul, especially Shaul's son Yonatan, whose, quote, very self became bound up with David's, and Yonatan loved him as himself. But David's reputation far exceeds that of his master, and no sitting king, especially one as insecure as Shaul, could tolerate being outshined. And though Shaul tries to kill David, Shaul fears the young man. No matter what David does, it goes exceedingly well. So much so that eventually David is to become his son-in-law to the king, but at a price, a hundred Philistine foreskins, which David delivers. So David marries Shaul's daughter Michal, which I suppose gives truth to Michael Corleone's quip in Godfather 2 about keeping your friends close but your enemies closer. When Shaul finally decides to have David killed, Yonatan abets David's escape, as does Michal, who frustrates a third assassination attempt. The fourth attempt at Shmuel's home in Ramah is prevented when each contingent of messengers begins prophesying, including eventually Shaul himself. Thus endeth the summation and beginneth the consideration. So Malcolm Gladwell has a take on the story of David and Goliath, or more specifically, why David succeeded against Goliath. Quote, In the biblical story of David and Goliath, David initially put a coat of mail in a brass helmet and girded himself with a sword. He prepared to wage a conventional battle of swords against Goliath. But then he stopped. Quote, I cannot walk in these, for I am unused to it, he said in Robert Alter's translation, and picked up those five smooth stones. In other words, if David had to face Goliath on Goliath's terms, that is, suiting up with armor, using a big sword and shield, he would most assuredly lose. No one on the Jewish side of the battlefield could best Goliath on these terms, so David, knowing this, decides to change the rules of engagement. He refuses armor, he does not use a sword. Instead, he relies on speed and his old trusty slingshot. He wins, Gladwell points out, by substituting effort for ability. The second sentence, the slingshot part, is what made David famous, but the first sentence matters just as much. David broke the rhythm of the encounter. He speeded it up. Robert Pinsky, in his book The Life of David, imagines Goliath's sudden astonishment at David sprinting directly at him, and in that moment, David has a giant, immobile target, which he hits with a tremendous shot. And once Goliath goes down, he never gets up. Though the specific circumstances here are somewhat out of the ordinary when it comes to the long history of single combat, single combat has a long tradition. There are numerous examples of champions of each side facing off that span history and the continents. The Egyptian tale of Sinue from the 20th century BCE recounts how Sinue defeated a powerful opponent in single combat. The Iliad recounts showdowns between Menelaus and Paris, and later between Achilles and Hector. Livy recounts a number of face offs in his history of Rome involving heroes as well as generals. The Hindu epics of the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, as well as the Chinese epic Romance of the Three Kingdoms, also recount instances of single combat. In the 16th century, Siamese King Naresuan and the Burmese crown prince Mingi Swa face off on war elephants. King Naresuan's victory is still celebrated in Thailand today. Spolia opima, or rich spoils, were the trophies of victory the victor took from his vanquished opposite. It usually included the armor, arms, and other effects. In Roman times, the Spolia opima were considered the most honorable of war trophies a commander could obtain, even better than the enemy military standards or the peaks of warships. So when David takes Goliath's sword and separates the giant's head from the rest of his body, it's a pretty impressive trophy. The the sword, that is, not, not the head. David puts the armor of Goliath in his own tent and takes the head to Jerusalem. And this shot propels the young shepherd into a world of intrigue and power maneuvers. Because from that moment on, David finds himself sucked into the royal orbit. Favorite son of Israel, friend to the prince and heir apparent, and husband to the princess. And as Cersei Lannister quipped in Game of Thrones, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. I have to admit that after a while, somewhere in Season 2, long before Season three's Red Wedding, I got tired of the sheer weight of all the plots and conspiracies and couplings and stabbings and various combinations. For me, Westeros proved to be too brutal and too scheming with the lives of its characters, but this section of the Tanakh, the ones that describe the monarchy first as a unified one, then, spoiler alert, as split of north versus south, these stories are also machination-filled and a bit too stabby. But for right now, in David's moment of triumph from the Valley of Elah, there is no intrigue, no plotting, no betrayals or twists. There's just joy and kinship. Everyone has a hero to rally behind. There are spoils to righteously claim and a victory to celebrate together. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend. Send them an email to say, hey, you should check out TanakhCast. Or you could do the social media thing and like TanakhCast at the show page on Facebook or Google+. Or you could leave a kind word in the comments section at thenextyou.com or write a brief review at the iTunes store. Or find TanakhCast at Stitcher Smart Radio or SoundCloud and leave a kind word there. It's a small thing, really, but it'll help me and other people find TanakhCast. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to come on back and join us next week-ish for episode 67 when we continue with the book of Samuel chapters 20 through 23.